Good to see you this morning. There's something wrong in the world today. It's too early to be here. My, uh, my mind doesn't work well early. I always forbade myself to take an early morning class because my brain doesn't work. And uh, this is the second time I've done this today, so there's no telling what I'm liable to say. And that, that worries some people who know me. According to my reckoning, we're all in trouble because divine providence does not start until about five minutes from now. But maybe we'll make it through all of this. I uh, used to tell my oldest grandson a joke, and I did that for, I guess, maybe a half dozen years. He finally got old enough to figure out what I was doing. It goes like this. Baker, do you know that cows hide in trees? And he would say, no. And I said, have you ever seen one in a tree? And he said, no. And I would say, see how well they hide? Uh, visibility, what you see, how, when, and where, very important. So I want to talk to you about a place that I've called the most enchanted place on the earth, where you can see forever, where you find your heart's longing. This is Hebrews 11 beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, became descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, 
a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Hebrews 11 is a roll call of faith. These are the heroes of faith who live a kind of life by faith, not by sight. It's more than personal belief. The noun that is used, the Greek word pistis, is qualified 50 times in Hebrews 11. And in fact, it becomes a verb of action because by faith you act by, in, through, with. It's a trust that causes you to do something. Abraham was called to go to a place, verse 8. It's the most enchanted place on earth for him. We know that he left behind things most cherished. His country, his family, his home, and went to a place he didn't know about. But it became enchanted. Let me unpack this in three thoughts this morning. The most enchanted place on earth is first where your eyes can see forever. In verse 13, the King James says, they welcomed them from afar. That means some distance. He didn't know where he was going, but he is looking for something that is very important that goes beyond the mind's eye. A few days uh, this past week, we had mornings that were foggy. Visibility was some places tenth of a mile. Weathermen say that on a perfectly clear day, you can see 10 miles. On a day now past, the four of us who took up to start a seminary from nothing and out of nothing, we're chugging along out on the Caprock near Lubbock. The four of us being Jim Spivey, Bud Smith, Stan Moore, and myself. And uh, some wit in the car noticed how far you could see out on that level top. In fact, I believe it was Bud who averred that he could see 37 miles. And of course, we all disputed that. But that's a long ways. What's unique about Abraham is how far he could see. He was able to see forever. Not distance, but he could see a heavenly place a city that had foundations that God had built. It was a better place, a place 
he could call home. C.S. Lewis tells us that he frequented a forested pond, which is a short walk from near his old home in Oxford. There he sat on the large roots of oak and ash trees. They were raised, naughty, gnarled, and strangely looked like creatures. And he wrote about them in the Chronicles. It was his enchanted place where he saw a wonderful world beyond the one that he lived in. When I was a boy, my English teacher had us read Willa Cather's essay, The Enchanted Bluff. It's a story about boys who grew up in Nebraska near a muddy river that had a magic place called the Enchanted Bluff. There was a big red rock that went up out of the sand some 900 feet, flat all around it, but it stood there like a monument. And the boys went there and imagined all kinds of things happening. I think all of us have enchanted places. If you've been there, you remember them. Abraham had never been to where he was going. He went there only on the promise of God. But he had eyes to see. Some people don't see what they should. D.M. Mackay tells of two friends sitting on a cliff overlooking the sea. In the evening darkness, one of them, who was a physicist, noted a light blinking on and off over the waves. And he remarked to his friend, I can give you the frequency and wavelength of that blinking light if I have enough time. The second friend was a little impatient. He had studied Morse code, and he knew that the flashing light was relaying a warning. The cliff where they sat was going to crumble, and they were about to sink into the sea. The eyes of faith can read what matters. In 2 Kings 6, Elijah has fled from the king of Aram and finds himself surrounded in the city by armies of his enemy. His servant, who's bewildered, says, Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? And the prophet answers, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked, and he now saw the hills full of the horses and chariots of God were surrounding him. 
few years ago, I preached several times right at the corner of Texas and Oklahoma in a little city called Livingston. And on a Sunday afternoon, I went out to the salt fork of the uh, Trinity River. It's level and wide up there. And pulled my shoes off and walked in the Trinity. I walked a long ways. I can still feel the squishy sand, my toes. I can still see all of the banks of that river. And I probably spent two hours walking on that river. And the memory of it's never left me because I thought of a lot of wonderful things while I was there. In life, you need to find a place where you can see God's forever. It needs to be a part of your hope, of your confidence, of why you do what you do. Secondly, this enchanted place is where your tomorrow holds promise. The writer of Hebrews says that Abraham never had a home place. He lived in tents. He was a nomad. He also says that Abraham was looking forward because he had no opportunity to return. Now, if you don't have a place and you can't go back, there's only one thing that's left for you, and that's tomorrow. And tomorrow needs to be a land of promise. Abraham was an heir of promise. He believed in a God who was faithful for what he promised. Paul Ternier, the psychologist, says we live in a rhythm of life between quitting one place in life and seeking for another. And he describes it as a trapeze artist who swings on one bar as far as he can, then he leaps and reaches in hope for another bar. Now faith is not taking hold of the bar and swinging. And faith is not when you grab the other bar and arrive at the other side. Faith is mid-air suspension in between. It is the promise of what will come. I think it's easy for us to imagine that all things turn out the way that they should with time. 
but it's not true. We never have any promise that we will control our tomorrow. But it's important to have God's promise for tomorrow. Linda Ray and I were in Cambridge when my mom died. I flew back for her funeral and I wrote in my diary what I told my mom at the funeral home. I promised that I would see that her father, or her, my father, her husband, would be with her in glory. In the year that dad died, I drove through a snowstorm in Oklahoma to see him. And when I walked in his room, he was sitting on his bed, he immediately spoke to me before he ever looked at me. And you know what he said? Bruce, I know why you're here. I was there to fulfill a promise to my mom, but also because of love for a man who had never trusted Christ. And I asked him the important question, what does tomorrow hold for you? And he said, let me assure you, after all these days, all these years, I have put my faith in Christ. A promise for tomorrow. Lynn Bray and I have been doing morning Bible studies at the Staten for 11 years now. It's the place downtown where if you're looking for a home to hang out in, that's a good spot. And uh, many of our class members have died. This uh, past week, there are four people in the Staten who died. They're all octogenarians and above, nonogenarians. We got some centurions in there. And many of the people who listen to me, and especially those who've listened to me for 11 years, hear the last words from a preacher they hear in that Bible study. And I think a lot about that. And as you get older, you finally realize, hey, one of these days they're going to pull the plug on me. The most enchanted place in life is to know that tomorrow holds a promise for you. And the confidence that you have doesn't come from just simple courage comes from the fact that God carries through, he delivers on what he says. An interesting part of this story is that though Abraham could see 
this promised place in his vision. And he had been given the promises. The writer of Hebrews says they never received the promises. They died without seeing the fulfillment of the promises. And often when you read that, you think, well, that's too bad. But let's think of ourselves a moment. If the Lord tarries and the new creation doesn't happen today, there's a good possibility that you're going to die without seeing all the promises yourself. And in that way, you're not all that different than Abraham. But you die in promise. And that makes all the difference in the world. Third, this enchanted place is where your heart finds its longings. In verse 13, these heroes of faith admit that they were aliens. In verse 16, they long for a better country. And the word better is one of the key words in the entire book of Hebrews. There is a better revelation. There is a better covenant. There is a better sacrifice. And there is a better country. I don't know how God... Uh, made this place originally and I don't know how he's going to renew it there are a lot of good things about it now but there's a lot of bad and one of the facts of the scripture is the idea of a good thing this created order in which we live, being twisted, perverted, damaged by evil. In the beginning, when God made all this, he rested and looked at it and said, this is very good. And he got two caretakers, put them in his garden, and warned them that one forbidden thing could ruin all of that paradise. And it was experiencing the tree of good and evil. So evil was not originally in the heart of man. It slithered its way in the garden. And in eating of this forbidden tree, the man and the woman experienced evil. They had known the good, but now evil comes into their existence.
And in its train, there's an unbroken trail of chaos by evil. There were 30 words in the Old Testament for evil. There are 20 words for evil in the New Testament. And we seem to have forgotten that. We'll call evil anything. You know, bad. The old favorite, it's a mistake. But in uh, the Bible, evil is a powerful and sinister force. And there is an evil one. So when I say a better country, I don't mean to say that this one's all terrible, but I tell you what, it's got some bad stuff in it. And it can't be blamed on a lack of food, poverty, or lack of knowledge, education. There's something bad wrong with the world. And Abraham looked for a better country. Breaking news is never good news. I did a little test this week because of what I've uh, been studying about evil and uh, counted up the number of items on the news that happened to be good news. Joan, I only found one. No wonder we worry because we hear about it all the time that there's something wrong. The Hebrews of faith greeted God's promise from a distance because they knew it was God's city. And therein is light, not darkness. Therein is good, not evil. And it is promised to those who place their trust in Christ. Linda and I have a favorite musical. It is Brigadoon. If you've never seen Brigadoon, you probably won't go to heaven. That's supposed to be a joke. But there's some truth in it. Uh, two Americans, Jeff Douglas and Tommy Albright, wander lost in Scotland on a grouse hunt. They cross a bridge, the brig over the dune, and they come into an enchanted village. And there they see a lovely young lass, Fiona. The problem is they find out she's 200 years old. Well, how did that happen? Uh, here's what happened. The village of Brigadoon had been troubled by witches. 
And Mr. Forsyth, the pastor of the Kirk, made a covenant with God that he would take up at night Brigadoon from the earth. And while trouble happened on the earth over a hundred years of time, Brigadoon up with the Lord would only experience one day. And then the next day, Brigadoon would descend back to the earth and have their daily routine. Well, it had been two days since these guys arrived in Brigadoon, so Fiona was 200 years old, but she looked 25. And the more gullible one, Tommy Albright, decided, I love Fiona, but I've got a problem because Brigadoon's getting ready to disappear again. So he decides to leave Scotland and Fiona behind and go back to, God forbid, New York City. But he couldn't get this enchanted place and this enchanted woman out of his mind. So he travels forlorn back to Scotland knowing that they will not come back in his time. And when he gets there, Brigadoon reappears. So he goes to the village schoolmaster, Mr. Lundy, and he asks him again, tell me what happens when Brigadoon goes up at night. And he said, well, I hear voices below in the earth, and they are wailing and crying out as if they're saying, I wish I could have a place like Brigadoon. And he then tells this American, you know, you can have a place like Brigadoon if your love is strong enough. And his love for Fiona overcame the plight of Brigadoon. And he is reunited with this lovely lady. The power of love for someone. And uh, Mr. Lundy closes his speech by saying, there must be a lot of people looking for a place like Brigadoon. Well, we all are. Can you see forever? Do you have a place that's a real home? Is your heart's longing set on that place? It is by faith. Your simple trust in Jesus Christ. And that place can be yours.
Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the promise of your word. We are people who are seeking. Give us vision to know the reality of what you promise, which our eyes have not yet seen and our ears have not heard nor imagined. Settle in our hearts our presence with you. Give us entry to the eternal city of joy. And today give us faith. Give us trust. We are yours and you are ours. We pray in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Let's stand together. Ben's going to come and lead us. I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice. The Lord's put a decision on your heart. You can make it today. Come and share it here publicly. You may have uh, just a word of prayer or some interest. This is an open altar for you. Let's sing together.